Well, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, I'll start with this. On September 17th, 1992, at 2.30 a.m., a man broke into an apartment complex, went into the kitchen, grabbed a knife, and then went upstairs to the bedroom where a woman was sleeping. She screamed, and he was going to assault her. But before he did, she begged him that he would use some sort of contraceptive to protect her from getting a sexually transmitted disease. He complied. He was arrested within two days, and at his arrest, he confessed to breaking into her apartment, taking a knife, and threatening her. And then he also said, told the story about her, him using you know, some sort of protection. And he said, because of that, that it was consensual. That was taken before the grand jury, and the grand jury did not press charges against him because they agreed with the rapist that it must have been consensual. Yeah. Here is the UCLA Women's uh, Law Journal response to that. The grand jury's message was an archaic one. Unless the survivor is severely beaten or physically resists her attacker, there is no rape that's occurring. Over 50 news organizations from coast to coast, including television shows, took on this cause as we were, the America was outraged. This happened right here in Austin, Texas. And after two months of protests, the Austin, or I guess it would be Travis County Attorney General, sent it before a second grand jury. They agreed with the victim, and uh, the violator was imprisoned for 40 years. I like how it ends. But here's the point. The way you view human nature determines how you're going to treat a fellow human being. That's what happened here. Okay. The value of how you define humanness will absolutely affect your sexual ethics. And in this case, no injury physically was done, so no injury at all took place. If humans are essentially different than mammals, then if we have cravings, they don't have to be answered. If humans are essentially different than mammals, then we have freedoms, but the freedoms should have boundaries to them. And that's the point of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let me read it, some verses here, starting in verse 12. This is, Paul's going to go back and forth between what the Corinthians are saying and then he's going to respond. They say, I have a right to do anything, you say. And Paul says, well, every, not everything is beneficial. I have a right to do anything. But I, I, do not, I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food is for the stomach and the stomach's for food. And God will destroy both of them. And then his response is, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and will, will raise us also. So here's like another very uncomfortable conversation we're having from Paul to the Corinthians because of who they are. And they're a lot like us, <laughs> a ragtag church in a crazy culture and, and they're in progress, they're learning and they're they're, they're weaning themselves off of their culture and into a Christian worldview. We're talking about what Paul's going to be addressing is a Christian worldview, and particularly 
under that category would be anthropology. It's going to look like he's talking a lot about sex, but he's really talking about anthropology, which is the study of, of humanness and particularly the distinctive characteristics of humans as opposed to other species. And if, if it's either we have to choose, we either are essentially the essence, I'm using that word on purpose, we are essentially different than animals or we could be treated by zoologists and veterinarians. There's something different. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, my outline is, is somewhat simple at the beginning. It's, I'm going to show you the Corinthian worldview and kind of how we are a lot like that. And then Paul's going to bring in and say, here's the biblical worldview. Here's the biblical definition of what it means to be human. And that's what's at, that's at, what's at, at war here. The Corinthian value system, they, they had the beliefs of what's called uh, platonic dualism and or uh, a thing called Gnosticism. We have a view that's close to that called atheistic uh, modern, like at least modern atheistic materialism. Here's, here's what that all means. In, in their case, in, in all three of those, this part, this flesh that you see, this is just flesh. It's, it's dirt. We're just dust in the wind. And in, in the context of Gnosticism, the, this flesh is considered evil. Platonic dualism, it's, the flesh is just kind of neutral, but either way, those two at least believe in a metaphysical soul that we have, but they're, but they're disconnected from each other. Okay, they're separate. So you can do stuff to your body and it doesn't affect your soul. Modern atheistic materialism, materialism being all we are is matter, says that's it. The body, you, all that, your emotions, just chemicals, you know, the way your brain, just brain chemistry, that's all it is. And the, the point is that all three views look at, look at human beings, particularly their flesh, as nothing more, well, than paper plates. Paper plates are disposable, right? You, you use them careless, carelessly, recklessly. You let the kids play with them. It doesn't matter because they're just paper plates. And so these people are actually living in the context of whatever I do to the paper plate doesn't affect anything else. And I'm just going to enjoy whatever I can. And that's why he says in 13, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food and God will destroy both of them. Look, since we're just bodies and it's just and I have these cravings, I have food cravings. And so I eat the body's going to God's going to burn up the body anyway. I have sex cravings. I'm going to have those cravings fulfilled and God's going to destroy that too. Sure. Makes perfect sense if we're paper plates. And like I have all this freedom. Some of these believers are new are Jews, former Jews. And so they have this newfound freedom to do all kinds of stuff. What's the freedom for? Paul says, don't act like a paper plate. He says, I have a right to do anything, you say. But Paul says, not everything is beneficial. I have a right to do anything. And Paul says, I will not be mastered by anything. The Corinthian church or in the Corinthian city was so sex sensualized. It was that a playwright, uh, Aristophanes, he was a playwriter. He, he invented a word called Corinthianized or what we would say, how Corinthian of you. And when people have values that their bodies are just, you know, flesh, meat, do what it says and enjoy it, then you're how Corinthianized of you. The point is, is that how you view anthropology, 
How you view that, that has consequences. And if we're just, just, if we're nothing more than paper plates and it's not true, it's going to cost us more than we want. We, it, in other words, we, we can't live with this. I have urges. I have freedoms. I'll do whatever I want. There's no cost to it. There's an article that's interesting from The Atlantic. It was very recent. Helen Lewis is a feminist, and she writes this. Uh, the title of it is, Where is our paradise of guilt-free sex? Where is our paradise of guilt-free sex? And she's just in a quandary about, you know, since the sexual revolution that took place mostly in the 60s, like, it, sex became just personal preference. I'll do whatever I want whenever I want, and I'll be free. And she's realizing that every single study from the 60s, that value system is destroying particularly women. He, she says that it, it has led to the abuse of women. It, it, it has led to more dissatisfaction in sexual relations, particularly with women. But certainly there's a lot more guilt and regret. Where, why is there guilt and regret? And these aren't people that had a church background. These are non-church people and some are theists and anti-theists, and yet they still carry something with them when they're practicing a life as a paper plate. It, it's, in other words, she comes to the conclusion, maybe it's not just a personal preference. And Paul enters this conversation and says, yep, should you not already know this? Shouldn't you know this instinctively, that, the, that the, the nature of a human being is not just physical and the physical is expendable, that we are body, but also soul and spirit? And so whether you're even, you know, a dualist or a, a Gnostic, they're connected with each other. And this enters what is the biblical view of humanity, biblical anthropology. And it's not a paper plate, friends. Oh, no, it's China. It's expensive, in some cases, priceless. He's going to, Paul's going to use the word body eight times in this conversation. And whenever he uses it in the context of a biblical application, he's going to refer to it as something precious and valuable. He's going to refer to it as something that's connected body, soul, and spirit. Look what he says in verse 11. But you were washed, this is the dignity, dignity of, of a human being. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. He's reminding us that there were three transactions that took place in our salvation. We were washed, made clean. We were sanctified. That means like set apart for a purpose. It, it means you are given this dignity that no other mammal could possibly have. And then he says, you were justified. You were declared righteous. And all of this took place, powerful words here, in the power of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, and by the power of the spirit of God. That's China he's talking about. That's not paper plate. Washed, sanctified, justified. In other words, he's saying, you are holy, you are holy, now act like you are holy. You're China. Be the, be. You are glorious, be glorious, do glorious things with your body, by the way, with your body. Act holy with your body. Your body's not a paper plate. 
Paper plates are great for what? Greasy leftover pizza and then you throw it away. That's not your body. Your body is something like this. That an eloquent banquet is served upon. I know it's what do you carry on it? Yeah, you carry beautiful things, celebratory meals. Don't use China like it's paper plates. You tell your kids, yeah, go out in the back, play in the backyard, take some sand in the sandbox. You can leave that when you're done. You don't let them have China to go out back. You're going to go eat a, a greasy chili dog on the bed of the truck. That's what this is for. Not this. You are this. Your body is not expendable, disposable, cheap. He's saying your body is holy. And part of your, you, the fullness of the essence of what it means to be human, is body, soul, and spirit. And they are interconnected. That's biblical, biblical anthropology. That's why he says in the verses we've seen before, you say food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food and God destroys them both. Just follow your urges. And he says the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Your body and the Lord, the Lord and the body. So what's interesting, I, when you, especially when you look at this section here, why is Paul spending so much time on sexual ethics? on sexual ethics. Why is that like a dominant theme here? Because that is a primary application of your value or your view of anthropology. In other words, if you look at your sexual ethics, I'll tell you how you think what, what the value of a human being is. Or if you have a value of human, human being, it's going to show itself in sexuality. You believe that you're a China, that you're pure and holy, you're going to act that way, sexually speaking. Now, the reason he brings up sex is because there is so much power in sex. It is the, one of the primary like, applications of who we are as human beings. When he talks about sexual immorality in this section, he's going to be using the, that phrase. It's going to, in Greek, it's the word pornea. Now, you don't have to know you have to know Greek to know what pornea, pornography, right? But it's a general overarching term that means any sort of uh, sexual, I don't, uh, improprieties. Uh, it, it can mean por porn pornography, but it means fundamentally. Let's do it this way: it is any kind of sex outside of marriage. That's how it's defined in the Bible. And so when he says sexual immorality, he's including all of this. And in his, in his, if you look closely, what his argument will be is twofold. One is that the Christian view of the body is that it's China. It's valuable. It's not worthless. It's not evil. It's not expendable. It has great value. And then the second part, if you listen carefully, he's going to say this, that not all body parts are created equal. In other words, some body parts are are sacred, they're separate, they're being treated differently because they're, they run straight to your soul. Some body parts, your private parts, we'll say for tactful, being tactful, private parts are wired specifically to your soul. Don't you know that? Do you not know that not all body parts are created equal? Because when we, when we don't, we, we can't live any other way. For example, 
If you were to physically assault, assault me with a non, you know, private part, like if your fist hit my cheekbone and even fractured my orbital, that's a lot of pain and suffering. I acknowledge that. But far less, significantly less than an unwanted but gentle tickle of a private part, right? A cracked bone is six weeks of healing. That unwanted, gentle tickle of a private part, years in the healing. And do you know why? Because private parts are wired straight to the soul. We have a soul and a spirit and it's connected to our bodies. And that's why sexual ethics is so important in this, in this book and in our lives. The Corinthian church was, was obsessed with sex because the culture was declining and that's one of the early signs of a declining culture. And so they're like on the tip of the spear here. And, and again, sexual expression is almost a definition. It's showing you what your values are. It is showing you what your, your anthropology is. And so Paul is just saying, look, you can say that you are in the image of God or you are in the image of a dog. And you have to choose. And when you choose, everything else, the consequences follow that. <laughs> but there's like, you can't fake this. And you can't pretend this and assume your paper plate, you know, just another mammal, and then assume the values of in the image of God. It, it simply doesn't work. It can't work. And that's why Paul says, do you not know? Several times in this whole section. Because we can't live consistently as a paper plate. You look at a child who has been violated, you know, sexually, again, no ill to their body, but it is terribly difficult to overcome. A lifetime sometimes of overcoming. Fundamentally, it's this. You can't get a condom around a soul. You can't protect a soul and spirit by protecting the body. Do you not know? And so Paul is saying that there is great value to our bodies from God's point of view. Human nature is body, soul, spirit, interconnected, and they all have value. And he's showing this in several ways. One way he shows this is, is by showing us that our salvation is provided to us through a body. That's how important it is. Look what he says in chapter 6, verses 13 and 14. He says, the body, however, is, is not meant to be for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Here's how important the body is. By the power, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he's gonna, he will raise us also. Salvation is provided through the body of Jesus Christ who was beaten and tortured and then it was raised again. That body was raised again. He didn't get a brand new body. His body was fixed and made new. Our salvation was given to us in the means of our salvation is body, soul, spirit. And that soul and spirit was carried in the body of Jesus Christ. And then Paul says, hey, your body, if it was just going to be thrown away, if it just burns, we'd be getting brand new bodies. He says we're, our bodies will also be raised. I don't want, I do not know what that means. <laughs> I'm hoping it's a significant upgrade and I'm like six feet tall, but I don't, I, he's not telling us what that means. Other passages actually just confuse me, but 
That's, but he says what he says. The body's going to be raised. The second part, his exaltation of the physical part of us says, look, this body, it's, it's part of the body of Jesus Christ. Next verse says, do you not know? We're supposed to know. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. I can't do whatever I want with this body because this body is part of a bigger body, the body of Christ, the bride, but also the body of Jesus. And I can't, I have to put boundaries on my freedoms and, and, and curtail my urges because this is the body of Jesus. Somehow that works and I can't do whatever I want. The, the dignity, listen, there's consequences for our anthropology. If our biblical, biblical anthropology says that every human being, regardless of you know, gender or sex or whatever it might be, is, has ultimate value. We're all in the image of God. We are all China. And this value flies in such a contrast. It is in the face of the Greco-Roman culture that he's writing. Because if you have a paper plate value, it is might makes right and the strongest make the rules. And therefore, the widows, the orphans, the women, the children, they become expendable. They're used like paper plates. Most men in those days had it like four lovers, just in categories of lovers. They had a wife and the wife was good for, you know, keeping, you know, I mean, like you, you, getting some kind of status upgrade or keeping your status and wealth. That woman also produced children that were legitimate heirs to keep the family wealth going on. She managed the family house. So there's that, but she's expendable. Then a lot of them would have, most of them would have a mistress. And when we talk about a mistress, I mean that someone that a a man would have a relationship with, it's like a hobby friend, an intellectual equal, uh, with benefits, <laughs> all with benefits, and they have all the privileges, but it's just kind of my buddy, my best friend. And you can treat them like that because that's all they are. Many of the men would also have a concubine in addition to these other two women that they're enjoying. And the concubine was nothing more than a person that was a servant for the purpose of sexual pleasure. And you know why? Because they're just plates and that's all they're worth. In addition to these three other titles, who knows how many people are under each one, there's also prostitutes. These guys have way more energy than they should. And so they would visit prostitutes as well. And prostitutes, they're expendable, that's for sure. And that value system, that's what they were living with. And Paul swoops in and says, that's not how this works. That person that's your wife, is also your good friend and your hobby buddy with privileges. It's also the person that you go to just for having fun and prostitutes are completely out of it. But the point of it is your wife, she's China. She's not a paper plate. She's not expendable. Just because you're bigger and stronger doesn't mean that's how it works. Paul swoops in and says, everyone is valuable in the eyes of God. And when I say that, I, Paul, he's saying, I mean their bodies as well. 
Do you not know? Here's the other reason. Do you not know that the body and the soul and the spirit are all interconnected and you can't tear these things apart? They overlap too much. There's no, there's no unplugging. Verse 16, he says, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one, is one with her body? For it is said that two become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Now he's talking about soul and spirit. And like when two become one flesh, it's going all the way back to Genesis. Something mystical is happening. And it's more than just physical. It's soulish. And now he brings in spirit. You're bringing the spirit is in your, in, contained in your body and you're bringing that into a situation with prostitutes? No. <laughs> Human sex is com- different than other mammals. There's an interesting book. Philip Yancey writes a book and the whole chapter is about this. I won't go into details. It's a little bit graphic as well. But Yancey interviews zoologists and says, hey, is, is a human being like just the next step up from a primate or are we different in kind and not in degree? And he says zoologists are, are puzzled about human nature and, and it comes up a lot in their sex life because that's an expression of their, their anthropology. It, not like any other mammals, we, we like need relationships to have enjoyment with sexual exchanges. It's relationship-based. And he, and he said, there's no evolutionary purpose for this, but we're the only mammals that, have, that cohabitate, you know, right, uh, copulate face-to-face, bodies touching, because we see each other and it's, it's relationship. It's, we're the only mammals, thank God, that do this in private. We want to encourage that to continue. Other mammals, not so much, right? They're usually in the back of a photo somewhere. <laughs> he says, do you not know that you can't live like animals and try, to, and, and try to hold on to semblance of dignity like you're different from them? Here's what's really kind of odd is in Hollywood even, you'll have two, an actor and actress, right? Jack and Jill, and they make an award-winning movie and it exalts adult, uh, adultery. And they be oh gosh, you know, They deserve that adultery. Those same actors and actress go home and their husbands and wives cheat on them. Not so romantic to them. They can't live with the values of the movie they were just awarded with. Do you not know that touching someone without consent is more, there's no physical injury there? But that can lead to depression and, and nightmares and frustration in their intimate lives, memory loss. Why? Here's why. Because we're body, soul, and spirit, and we're blended together and inseparable. We're China, friends. We're China. Don't you know? Do you not know this? And what he's saying, that's our phrase of saying, you know this, like deep down inside. We know we can't live with this paper plate life. We know that we're China. We know we're different. We know we are essentially different. And anybody that tries to make it different, they have a cost to pay. So the first, side, the first part of the learning is secondarily about sexual expression, but it's primarily about who do you think you are anyway? 
How do you think you're made? What do you think your value is and the value of other human beings? Now, with that in mind, be holy, be China, (laughs) be valuable. So now he moves to like, so what do we do? What do we do and why? He's going to tell us what to do. And then he's going to give us three reasons why. In light of us being holy and a light of sexual immorality being a primary way of destroying the intimacy that we can have within ourselves and with other people and with God, what are we to do? What are we to do? Here it is. Ready? Flee. Run. Don't mess with this. What are you doing playing around in this area? This is what's called in the military a strategic retreat. If you're David up against Goliath and you go into your pouch and you don't have five smooth stones, run, run. Okay. And so that's what he's saying here. Why? Why? He says, flee. Look what it says. Flee sexual immorality. That's pretty simple. Boom. And then so why? Number one is because you hurt yourself. This is the other people again quoting and then he's going to respond. All sins a person commits are just they're outside their body. And then Paul says, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Like, yeah, you sin with your body and do something stupid and lose a finger. It's like, yeah, uh-huh. That's just, but that's just like all sins, you know, sexual sins too. And Paul says, no, that's not how this works because not all body parts are the same. Some are wired straight to your soul and spirit. And so when you, when you do something immoral in this area, you, you have sinned against God. You've sinned against that partner, maybe your future marriage partner, and you've sinned against yourself because you're beginning to desensitize the interlocking of our body, soul, and spirit. So yeah, everybody pays. Flee, flee sexual immorality. Martin Luther said, if your head is made of wax, you should stay away from the fire. Yeah, that's what we're talking about here. Uh, the second reason why he says to, to flee in, uh, sexual immorality, he says, do you not know? Do you not know? You should know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God. The second reason is because we're temples of the Holy Spirit. And that's, I've, I've mentioned this already, like this is the physical me, but where else do I keep my soul, my personality? It's in, it's in here somewhere. I carry it with me wherever I go. The Holy Spirit that I've been indwelled with, that's, I keep that here too. And so we can't just take this anywhere we want and think our soul and God's spirit and our spirit aren't going to be involved in that. And so he's saying, <laughs> flee, flee sexual immorality. He's saying, flee temptation. You guys have been dating four months and you're going to go over to his apartment or her apartment at night without somebody else being there and fall asleep on the couch again? How many times is this going to happen before you guys do something really regrettable? Flee that. Know your boundaries. You can't do that. Flee sexual immorality, even the temptation of that. Here's another reason, he says, is because God owns you. God owns you. Look what he says. uh, You are not your own. Just a fluke. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. They're not paper plates. He paid a high price to pay our debts to get us out of hell. We do whatever he says. We're a life slave. 
He says it, we do it. We don't have to know why. He says, flee, flee pornography. Flee pornography. Pornography makes more money in a year than every professional sport combined. And do you know why? Because it tugs on those desires that are most irreverent towards who we are. In other words, the bigger you are, the harder they fall. Like the most sacred thing about us as humans is that we are in the image of God, body, soul, and spirit. So let's destroy that from the body in pornography. Flee pornography, he says. And do you know why he says that? Because I own you. (laughs) You wanna negotiate with that? There's no negotiating. I paid for you, stay away from it. Whatever it takes to, to do that. Alan Noble, uh, he's an American pastor. He was asked, how could the church thrive in our current culture? And he said, well, if we went back and just listened to and, com- and complied to what's called the, the Hindenburg, uh, I'm sorry, Heidelberg Catechism that was written in 1560. Catechisms are they ask a question and they answer it. Here's the question. What is the only comfort that we have in life and death? And the answer is that I am not my own. <laughs> But I belong body and soul in my life and in my death to the faithful savior of Jesus Christ. How do you thrive in this culture? Realizing that you're not your own. There's kind of two conclusions, applications as we finish up here. One is that I'll bet most people in this room have a tremendous amount of regret in this subject matter. How Corinthian of us, of course we do. This is the sewage that we swim in. And I, I, I want you to know that this passage written then and my, my com- conversation right now is not to heap on more regret for you or like fill up your condemnation bank. That's not the point. I mean, this is, the church is called grace. We have it written in giant letters on you know, two sides of the, of the building here. No, 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 it's, it's, it's in some respects to help us understand like what went wrong and why do I feel so bad about something that took place 12 or 25 years ago? Here's why, because you lived your life like a paper plate and you're not. It, it helps us like do the reasoning of how come I can't let go of that memory but I can forget where I parked? It's because these are deep issues. So the, the point is not to talk about our past so much, but where do we live now and go to the future? What about tomorrow? Tomorrow, we start with this, China. We were washed, sanctified, and justified. He doesn't do that for paper plates. We're washed, made clean, sanctified, set apart, set apart for a purpose, justified. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's get on with this. Let's move on and beat China. He made us that way. We are that way. We act that way. Let's go. Let's get going. Let's take responsibility for anything we need to do and do that. A second application is like what God has for us. Kind of the the contrary, let me just do some contrarian advertising for what God wants for us. We, we know all about how the Corinthians 
thinks and how a 40-year-old version should be ashamed of themselves. But like, I, I want you to know that, that living the life in, in the worldview, in the anthropology of the Bible is very difficult. You are mocked and hazed and openly ridiculed. People try to fix you because you, have, you do what you can to flee sexual immorality. So I just wanna give you a, a brief kind of, like, I don't know, story of this is what God would have for many of us. This is what he hopes for. And see if this isn't what you would want for your son or your daughter or someone that you love. This is what he wants. He wants you not to be ignorant, but to be innocent for as long as you possibly can. And in your life journey, you find somebody, a member of the opposite sex, and you see them talking about God and you're drawn to their spirit first. You hear how they talk and their relationship with God and how they read the Bible and see things that you can't see. And you think, how they are, they just, they see things and enjoy God in different ways. And I'm drawn to that person's spirit. Spend some time together and next thing you know, you're attracted to their soul, soul, psyche, personality. You like how adventurous they are or how, you know, consistent they are, depending upon <laughs> maybe what you need in your life. I like how verbose they are, enthusiastic they are, or how they can control their tongue and only wait to something smart. And then they say, you know, that maybe that's it, whatever it might be. But the point is you're, you're falling for their, who they are, their personality, whatever. Now they're friends good friends. And then one day you look into their eyes and you think, I'm very attracted to this person, their spirit, their soul. But these eyes, these are the eyes I want to stare into for the next 80 years. I see this person and I think, dear God, is this who you brought into my life so that I can help her become like Christ in all of life? And she's the one that's going to say things to me and be the means of your spirit to help me become like Christ in all of life because other things don't work, but my mate will. And you, you have the conversation and you say, yes, let's have a covenant bonding promise, bringing God into that. It's called a wedding ceremony. And you gather your friends and family. And when, when I do weddings, I, the, the bride, everybody's all dressed up, of course, and the, and the Brides at the bottom, the doors open. I grab the groom while everybody stands up and looks back. I grab the groom and get out of the way. I give him center aisle look. I said, she is yours and you belong to her. Enjoy. And then she walks up that aisle and I kind of get back in place like nothing happened. And here we go. And they completely like exchange with each other. They, they, they strip away any kind of economic independence. They strip away like social independence. They, they strip away emotional independence saying, this is it. We are absolutely becoming one here. And in front of our friends and family and, the, and because of the authority invested in me by God himself, I covenant you man and wife. And then they have a wedding night together. And they enjoy taking each other's clothes off. And as that happens, they see for the very first time a member of the opposite sex in all of their glory, completely naked. And that becomes the gold standard for what is beautiful for the rest of their lives together. Is that so bad? 
They find themselves in the wedding bed and they're not, they're pretty ignorant in their innocence. And it's not like Hollywood. They're still fumbling and double dribbling and, and yeah, yeah. Maybe some fireworks, some duds. It doesn't matter. That's the fun. Do you know what there is? There's giggling. Two innocents enjoying each other for the very first time. And they look at each other and say, we got to work on this. For the next 76 years, we're going to get good at this eventually. Is that so bad that God would want that for us? I've met quite a few men and women that married as virgins, and they'll say two things. They'll say they paid a lot for that. They were made fun of. They were mocked. It's, you know, it's the new scarlet letter to be a virgin. They had to flee sexual immorality, which was not easy, especially when they were betrothed. But when they did that, the return on the investment, Oh, it's quite a return. They don't have regrets. They just have celebration. Is that so bad for God to want us to enjoy that? Going all the way back to the fundamentals of like philosophy and theology that he made us as precious instruments of our souls and his spirit. And because of the power of sex, it is to be respected and made sacred. And when that's done, we enjoy the fullness of God's blessing. He's a good God and he only wants what's good for us. Don't be Corinthian. Don't be Corinthian. That bill you can't pay. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. At the end of that chapter, he's just saying, let's be Christians, not Corinthians. Let's pray for that for us as a church. Lord, I, I, uh, I know there's, number, there's some people in here and they, I'd ask that you would give them the wisdom to know how to get back on this path away from the paper plate lifestyle and get on this path of who they really are, crystal, valuable, worthy of, of containing the spirit of God. I'd ask that you would inform them, instruct them on how to get back to that, the way you see them. And I'd ask that you give them courage to make that choice to make amends, to take responsibility, whatever that might be. And Lord, for those members of our church, I'd ask that you would help us to be a holy and sacred set-apart church and we would show that in our sexual ethics, that we are open and greeting to all people with all decisions. But we have this value because we know it. Do you not know? We know this intuitively, that this is a sacred special thing and we treat it that way. We hold it with the value that you've given us. We're grateful for Paul's lessons that are so clear here in Corinthians that we can learn from that. Lord, let us be a glorious church, a beautiful bride wearing a white gown. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.